We're going to go all the way back to the book of Mark, Mark in the New Testament, Mark chapter 8. And we're going to, we're going to skip a little bit of rocks because it's the costly conditions of discipleship. And we really can't get this in context if we don't read the whole chapter before. We're not reading the whole chapter. I'm going to skip. But you need to go back and read the chapter because you, you won't fully understand what I'm speaking about or what Jesus is speaking about. Because he even says to his disciples, don't you understand? And the answer was, they didn't. Let's see who the audience is today. How many of you grew up in church? Since you were a baby, you had, your parents had you at church or sometime. All right. How many of you never grew up in church growing up as a, as a young person? Okay. And how many of you kind of dropped in somewhere around the teenage years? You popped in with a friend or you went to church somewhere like that? Anybody? Okay. So we got a mixed audience of, of a little bit of everyone. <clears throat> and if it's your first Sunday ever in church, don't raise your hand, but we're glad to have you. But we want to see something here. These disciples, and I, I never fully understood this scripture. It's in Matthew. You see the, the notes up there. I'm preaching out of Mark, but it's also recorded in the book of Matthew 16 and Luke chapter 9. These disciples were men God chose out of the crowds. He handpicked them that he said the Father gave him. And he's speaking to them, and he sounds like a father who's frustrated with his kids. Have you ever done that, taking your children to Walmart or somewhere like that, or seen a parent do this? And what happens when you get to checkout? Or the grocery store. What do they put at the checkouts? If you if you've been in retail marketing, what do they do? Lost leaders and all those things, those candies. Can I have this? Can I have the inquirer? I mean, all the everybody's wanting to grab everything to sit at the counter, read. I can't believe that happened. They're reading a quick headline. Maybe I'll just get one copy. And there's lottery tickets. There's all kind of crazy things for every age. Agreed. And it's all there, so you'll get that last minute thing and waste your money. And 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 many people do it because uh, we know they do it because. You and I have bought it, and they still have it there. All right, well, I want you to see this. The disciples, though they were they're from different backgrounds, some very professional backgrounds, doctors. You'll see Luke is a doctor. You'll see Matthew is an IRS agent, a tax collector, if you will. And you'll see the fishermen that owned the business, so they were both. They, they, they were both mixed between. They, they were all Jewish men. They grew up learning the uh, first five books of the Bible, at least. They learned the traditions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So the traditions is what will mess you up. So Jesus always preached, you do well to know the scriptures, but your traditions. It's always the traditions of man that get everyone in trouble. How many of you grew up believing, I heard this, even though your mother might have said it, I'm sorry, I don't want to hurt your mother's feelings this morning, that cleanliness is next to godliness. Y'all raise your hand if you've ever heard that to be tr as a true statement from the Bible. It's not. And now there was ritual washings, and my mother practiced that with our ears when we were kids. I mean, boom, I, don't, I think I have a hole completely through because my ears were always clean. I think that's why I don't like my ears touched today. Uh, if you touch my ears, it's very sensitive. Please don't do that. Uh, not even as a joke. We both wind up somewhere. You'll go to the hospital, and I'll go to the police department. So don't touch my ears. It's a very sensitive subject for me. And please don't be a teenager thinking you're going to try it. I've already choked out one of our teenagers because he did it so, some years ago. But listen, we come up with traditions and we say, if we go to church on Sunday, Sunday morning, how many of you were in a Baptist church, Southern Baptist church for a long time, and you got all those Sunday school pins? Anybody else? Raise your hand if you got all those medals that hung over your chest. How, how many of you had more than five medals? I'm going to look over at Nettie. I know she has. How many did you have? All the way down. Did it hang over to your belt line? Perfect attendance. We gave perfect attendance medals. Did y'all know that? You got a medal for coming to church, for coming to Sunday school. And every time you got perfect attendance, if the secretary recorded it, 
you'd be able to hook it to the next one, hook to the next one. There's always those little eye hooks that you just hook them on and fasten them, and they hang down. So when you come to church, you roll it like this. You're like, perfect attendance, right? Never missed a day. I came here when I had COVID. I get everybody COVID, but I came to church, right? That's a joke. That's a modern joke. You made people sick because you come to church sick because you couldn't not miss a Sunday because you wouldn't get perfect attendance. Well, we did all kind of different things in the church, and we've learned traditions in the church. If you go to our Catholic friends this morning, they're kneeling, standing up, kneeling, standing up, kneeling, standing up, kneeling, standing up. They'll do it multiple times. There'll be churches this morning, no instruments whatsoever. Our Church of Christ friends, no instruments whatsoever. And don't play any instruments. Your voice is the only instrument that can be played in the church. There's traditions of men. That's why we have denominations, by the way. People say, we agree on Jesus Christ, but we don't agree on baptism. We agree on Jesus Christ, but we don't agree on the Lord's Supper. We agree on these things, but we don't agree on those things. So therefore, we divide which is sad, and we go and start our own denomination. Or the best one is all of your friends who say, well, we're non-denominational. And we say, well, what do you like? Oh, we're like the Baptist, but. And I always say, don't compare yourself to us. You don't get that privilege. If you want to be non-denoms, stay non-denoms. Describe it yourself. Don't say we're like the Baptist, right? Oh, we're just like the Baptist. And there's a church in town, and we did that in the pastor. He goes, well, you mean we shouldn't say that? I said, don't say it at all. Why would you want to relate to us and then not be us? Either be us, join us, because we're the people of the book, or don't, uh, don't say I'm, we're like you. So here in the traditions, when you read this, we're going to pull this up. The disciples came with all their backgrounds, their Jewish backgrounds, of course, and they were looking for the Messiah. They all were looking for him. But the Pharisees had taught them since they were little boys and their mom and dads had been taught and generations had been taught that the Messiah, when he came, he's going to be this prince, this conquering king, if you will, and he's going to take over, and everyone who's an invading army or people, he's going to push out, and there's going to be peace in Jerusalem because the king's in town. When the Messiah comes, he's going to be the man. No one's going to be able to stand up to him, and he's going to push people out. They had that expectation that they were going to serve a prince. So they, he was going to be religious, yes, but he was also going to be a political figure, yes, because remember, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were both religious and political figures. So when Jesus was identified as the Messiah, these men said, I want what you got. I'll take some of that because you, you picked this. But they still had all their old hang-ups. You ever done that? We've got our old hang-ups, what we believe. We want to carry this new belief, but we also want to hold on to all these old traditions that we were taught. And so we're behind you, Jesus, all the way. We believe you're the Messiah, but we're behind you with all of our boat anchors, if you will, of religion. They were bringing on, hey, I'm good enough. I obeyed my parents. I honored my father and my mother. I did the things that actually actually could do with my hands, and, and I did the things I could do with my gifts. And But we're following Jesus because he's the Messiah. Remember, the Messiah that is the conquering king or the one that actually is going to rule. Now, let's look into the scriptures. This is the basis for what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 8 and these other passages. So I had to give you that lengthy background. Go to chapter 8, verse 1. I want you to see this. In those days, the multitude being very great, having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, and he said he had compassion for the people. This is not the same feeding. You'll see, sometimes people don't read the Bible enough, and this is the part of the issue. We don't read the scriptures for ourselves because uh, we have someone else to do it for us. Many churches, the, uh, there's many churches that they don't even use the Bible. They'll use just a passage of a, a, a positive thinking, maybe a portion of a, a scripture. It's important and imperative that you know the Word of God for yourself. Don't wait on me or your teacher to teach you. The Bible says if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit will teach you. You don't even have a need for a teacher. 
Not saying don't come to church, not saying don't come to teach it because you do learn from each other, but the Holy Spirit who inspired men to write this will be the same Holy Spirit and is the same Holy Spirit who inspires you to understand it. So Jesus said, I have compassion on all these multitude of people. And I'm going to skip because we've got to get to our main passage. Go to verse 5. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, how many, church? He had seven loaves, remember. All right. And when he fed the 5,000, how many loaves were there? Okay, so we're going to see that. So he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the ground. He took them to seven loaves, and he gave thanks. He broke them, and he gave them to his disciples to set before them, and they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to them also before them, set them before them also. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. He gets in a boat, and they depart, okay? So we got the idea. What would we call this today if we saw this happen, or what actually was it when Jesus did it? It's a miracle. It's actually an attesting miracle, meaning, remember when Nicodemus in John chapter 3 said, Rabbi, we know that you're from God because all the things that you do, all the attesting miracles like this, you can't run away and say, man, we had no food, and there was this dude up front told us all to sit down. He picked up seven loaves, and he, and he snaps them, and he starts praying over them. And then everybody in the whole place, all over, 4,000 people, y'all. That's this church filled how many times? Uh, five or six times filled. He, everyone had lunch that day for free. Do you think people were talking about it when they were on their way home? They had fish and chips for lunch, right? Compliments of this guy up front that we kept breaking it and praying. And the word went out. So he fed the 5,000 plus women and children before, and now he's feeding the 4,000. And people, the word's getting out. And so Jesus is a miracle worker. Everyone can't help. I mean, you don't have to like him. You don't have to trust him. You don't even have to believe him. But you have to look at these miracles that he's doing and saying, something's different about this guy. He's doing something that nobody else can do. He's doing miracles. There is no possible, there's no trick. There's no way to turn rocks into bread. None of this is possible. It's not even possible. So therefore, it is an attesting, meaning it's attesting to his abilities as a supernatural being to do this work. Understand? Jesus in the scripture teaches, and then he does a miracle. He teaches, he does a miracle. And the miracles are teaching in and of themselves. Like, okay, that solidifies the deal. Is Jesus a miracle worker, yes or no? Yeah, if you didn't know anything else about Jesus, you read this one passage of scripture saying, wait a minute, he took these loaves, these few fish, and he fed 4,000 people? Nobody can do that. Either they lied and put this in the Bible, right? This is a lie. Or it happened and he's supernatural. Only a supernatural being could do this. Would we agree before we go forward? Yes or no? Yes. So, okay, we got to tune in. Either we can discount it and say, I'm not going to read anymore because that's a silly book. Then we should close it and walk out the door. Or if we say, wait a minute, this is God's word. And now Jesus is doing this miraculous signs. We need to tune in. Watch what he's going to say. He's going to say something. And remember what he broke to feed the people. What was the main thing that he broke? The bread. So we're going to see that. He, he, he talks about the bread, the leaven of the bread. Let me go down to verse 11. Then the Pharisees, of course, they leave the area. Then the Pharisees, these are the religious rulers, those who have hangups about ruling, having a position of authority, having the knowledge, having the traditions that, that their fathers made up, and they continue to make up new ones. So these guys have religious hangups over and over, and they don't want to lose their job. So Jesus is encroaching on them like, they can't do a miracle. They're supposed to be the holy men. They look nice. They look the part that the Old Testament describes. 
There's sacrifices being made. They take a collection. They sing songs and pray prayers, but they can't even come close to doing what Jesus is doing. So what do you do? What would you do? If this is the man you said is coming and he's here, what do you do? You have two choices. Would you agree? You have to follow him and submit to him, or you have to reject him and try to get him out of the way because every, t- every day that he wakes up and every day that you wake up, you've got a conflict in your face, and everybody's like, he speaks like one who has authority. He does these attesting miracles. You guys can't even do anything. All y'all do is give us rules. You see the conflict they're having? And so the people who were taught by these men over and over, year after year, their whole lives, they've been taught this stuff, and they're like, wait a minute, he's teaching something that sounds right. They, they've taught us how to dress, and they've taught us how to wash our hands, and they've taught us what food to eat. And they said we can't even help our ox out of the ditch on, on Saturday. They, they've made all these rules, and he's coming and saying he's bringing peace, but he's also dividing because we disagree. All right, now we're going to go further. Watch this. Jesus is going to warn. The Pharisees came out and began to dispute with Jesus, seeking from him what? What did they want? Show us a sign, right? The Jews always were looking for a sign, according to what the Scripture teaches us. And was Jesus going to give them a sign? Not directly, because today, what does everybody want? Well, Pastor, I've been praying about this, and, and Jesus hadn't come through, so I just can't believe. You think he works on your timetable. He's not your boy. Amen? Jesus does not work on your timetable. He's God. He works on his timetable. His ways are higher than our ways, says the Lord. So if you're praying about something, you desire something from him, ask, seek, knock. That's what he says to do. That's his own words. But you have to wait. And when you wait, the waiting can be an active waiting of, Lord, I'm praying, until he says, quit praying, stop. The answer is no. Don't pray again about that. Did you know God will say that to you? Just stop praying about that. It's a no. He'll say yes. But he might make you wait on the yes. He'll say, maybe, or wait, my grace is sufficient. Those are the hard ones going, Lord, if you just let me know today. i got to make some plans. I want to put it in my calendar, right? I want to put it in my phone, and I want to know what's happening so I can actually plan my week, right? The Lord's not in your calendar or on your weekly schedule. He's on his schedule, his ways. And he wants you and me to submit to his ways. That's what he was trying to teach these disciples. Like, listen, stop with the traditions and then, of course, they're, they're, they're watching the miracle going, wow, 4,000. Every time we get a basket back down the road, y'all remember when we used to pass the offering plate? We could only wish, right, every time we pass it, and you just take some money out of the offering plate, and when you get to the end, there's more money. And then you just pass it, and there's more money. That's the way it was with this bread. And the disciples, they're walking down going, I just fed, there's 250 on that row, and now i got 500 pieces left. Next row, pass it down. Peter, how many you got left? Dude, it's full. Everybody's munching, eating. Like You can't miss this miracle. It's, it's big. You can't miss it. And now watch what happens. The Pharisees come out, and they demand a sign. Did the Pharisees hear about this miracle? Oh, yeah, they couldn't help. They couldn't help but hear. So then verse 12, but he signed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. There's, you're not going to get a sign. Just because you demand it of God does not mean he's going to submit and give it to you. Does everybody understand that? God is God and you are not. Let's try it personal. Let's make it personal. Y'all say it with me. God is God and I am not. That's truth from the word of God. 
Don't matter how much money you have, guess where your money came from? Guess where your job came from? Guess where your inheritance came from? Guess where your house, your car, your clothes, go down the list, your breath that you're breathing today, guess where it came from? It came from God. So if we start our day and we start our problems, we start whatever we have with God who's all sufficient, God who knows all things, God who is sovereign, who created the world, how big are our problems? They're minute. God understands. The Bible says God sees all. He's the God who sees. God knows all. Do we trust that? Well, the disciples heard those same things growing up. And they had heard traditions. They'd, made, they'd heard things in the synagogue. They'd heard things at home and teachings. So they had a little bit of religious background, but they had all those crazy traditions. And so God's speaking to them. Obviously, God, I'm speaking about Jesus. Watch what he says. Transition to verse 13, because we haven't even got to today's sermon yet. Verse 13. And he left them, and getting into the boat, of course, they leave again. And look at verse 14. Does this not sound like us? You can tell you're traveling with men. Why Jesus, he should, if, it was, if I was God, I mean, I'm not God, of course, I can't second guess him, but you imagine trying to travel with men, ladies? What are they going to do? Forget everything, right? Did you get that? When we go on a vacation or somewhere, we travel, and I was like, when did you bring the snacks? She goes, today's not, not windy snack packing day. We're just going here, why don't you pick up anything? I was like, you always do it. We, go, we used to go hiking all the time on the weekends, me and Mackenzie. I always said, Kenji, what you got to eat and drink? She always packed it. She always had first aid. She always had a knife. She always had something. She had bug spray. She was always prepared. You imagine trying with these men. Watch verse 14. This is us, guys. Sorry. Here we are. Now, the disciples had forgotten to take bread. How much bread did they just pass out? They had enough to feed 4,000 people, plus they had leftovers, right? So they forgot to put bread in the boat. And they did not have uh, more than one loaf with them in the boat. These are going to be small loaves. And then he charged them and said, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, or the Sadducees, if you read the other uh, Gospels. What is the leaven? Leaven represents what in the Bible? Sin. So every time you see leaven, it usually represents sin, the, what makes the, the yeast that makes the bread rise. And they're like, the disciples, you can read their dilemma. They get into a dilemma. They're arguing back and forth going, He's really upset that we forgot bread. Do y'all think with one loaf of bread, what could Jesus do with that one loaf of bread? Could he feed 12 people or 13 count himself? If he could take those few loaves and feed 4,000, if he could take those few loaves and feed 5,000, could he take one small loaf and feed all the disciples in the boat? Or he could just say, be full. Couldn't he? Is he God? Could he do that? So they're arguing over saying he's mad at us because we didn't bring bread. These are the men we call St. Peter, St. Paul, right? We call them saints today. We, we lift them up as these great godly men, which they were at the end of their lives. But at this point, they're still struggling with basics. And they reason among themselves, say, this is because we have no bread. But Jesus said, beware of it. Said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Meaning, do you still, are you still entangled with those old beliefs thinking you're looking for a military out to this? I've been with you. I've showed you this. I've taught you this. And yet you're still looking for another way. Does that sound like America today in the world? Yeah, hey, I've heard about Jesus. I'll take this. I've heard about Jesus my whole life. But, 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 but I, I just want to 
I just want to make it my way. I'm a, I'm, somebody wants to pull myself up by the bootstraps. I, I'm, I'm a self-made man or woman. I, I just want to do it my way. Well, there's already been a song about that, right? And Jesus is not satisfied with you doing it your way. If you do it God's way, what do you get, church? God's results. But we continue pounding the pavement day after day, trying to do it our way. Whatever job you do, uh, whatever, whatever occupation you have, whatever, whatever, whatever you do in retirement, whatever it is, every time you try to do it your way, you're going to get your results. But if you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I am sick of my way because my way always leads to a dead end. I want to give my whole life to you. I want to do it your way. I want to do it the way the Scripture says. The Bible says when you submit to him, listen, God's going to say, nope, not interested. Took too long. Is that a God we serve? No, it's not. He says yes to them. Come on, I'm, I'm, you, you want to do it my way? I'm going to show you 100% my way because I love you. I created you. I give you breath of life. I saved you. I gave you my son, Jesus Christ, so that you might be saved. And now I want to show you because i got a plan and a purpose for your life. I have ordained work for you to do. Did you all know that? Ephesians 2.10, look, that is your name. Put your name in front of Ephesians 2.10. If you're saved, you have work to do. Every day that passes that you don't do the work that he has assigned for you to do, you're going to give an account for it in heaven, if you're going to heaven. Amen? Because it's saved by grace through faith, right? It's his grace he gives you. It's his faith that he gives you, that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God who died on the cross for your sin, was buried, and three days later he rose again to live forevermore. That's what says in the scripture very clearly we must believe but listen every day that you wait every day that passes by every time that you say maybe tomorrow 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 i'm so sticking busy maybe tomorrow next week i'll do it next week every time that you put off the work that he's ordained for you to do in ephesians 2 10 you're going to be judged on that in heaven if you're going did you know that you can't have scripture that's the truth and say well that doesn't apply to me Every day that passes, you're going to give an account. Every word that you say, the Bible says, you're going to give an account. This is serious business. These disciples are still like, he's mad because we didn't bring bread. Is Jesus mad because they didn't bring bread? No. He don't even care about it. He knows they need bread. The Bible says he knows everything you need before you need it. It wasn't about bread. It was about the sinful relationships that the Pharisees had with this made-up God and these religious trappings they had. They wanted to do it their way. Herod, Herod was an Edomite. He actually, the Edomites, listen, they, they, they punished the people of God. Israel hated the Edomites, but here's King Herod. He wants to come in and be a Jew. He wants to be known as the king of the Jews. But he can't because he's an Edomite. He don't fit in. He's been kicked out way back in the day. His clan has... So what he does, he converts to Judaism saying, I'll take a little bit of your poison. I'll take a little bit of your religious trappings. And that way you'll trust me and I'll be your king. And he called himself the king of the Jews. So when Jesus says, be careful about the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Herod, that leaven that they bring, it's taking religious traditions and those things that you think, oh, God's good with this, and it doesn't line up with scripture, he's not good with it at all. Beware, he warns, beware, beware. Don't do this. Don't play your silly little traditions and then try to match Jesus to that. You can't have Jesus plus all the trappings. It's got to be Jesus alone. Only Christ. That's the only way of salvation. Only Christ. 
as found in Scripture, not the Muslims' Jesus. Listen, their God is not our God. Not the Mormons' Jesus. Their God is not our God. Not the Jehovah Witnesses' Jesus. Their God is not our God who is the God of the Bible. Hindus' gods are not our God. The Buddhist gods are not our gods. Why do we play these silly games and say, but they're good people, Pastor? Uh, They're nice people. They're nicer to me than the Christians. What does that say about the Christians? They might not be. I've told you, you can stand in a garage and go beep, 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 but it doesn't make you a car. When we give our hearts and lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not just gradually, I'm going to be better. You are being sanctified. But listen, the Lord Jesus Christ gives you an overhaul. You're a raggedy old rusted out no good, and he gives you new motor, new transmission, new paint job. He's made you all brand new. And then listen, he says, don't just gradually, put, 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 but maybe like I used to drive, Pastor, I just I keep going by those old ways. Listen, if you're still hanging out at the bar after you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, I dare say that you're saved. Now, if Jesus tells you to go back and dip in and get to those old boys or girls who's back there, you go and do what he says, but take somebody so you can be accountable. If, if you're leaning towards alcoholism, listen, get somebody who can't stand the stuff. Hang out with them and let them talk trash to you every time you think about it. Every time they pass a Budweiser truck, I hate that stuff with a passion. And you're like, mm, I wouldn't mind having one. And they're like, I can't stand it. Pair yourself up with somebody that's going to hold you accountable. Not somebody that says, hey, let's go have one, just one. Because one turns into two and two. Listen, we're very clear. I put the governor signed some crazy bill that something about DUI. It's a dumb bill that we signed. It's a foolish bill just to appease a few people. I want to save lives. I said, and I put a comment on Facebook. I said, why don't we go to the source and punish Budweiser and those who create the, the ill stuff that makes people have DUIs, the stuff that causes men and women to abuse their families? Let's go to the source. Let's, let's, every, time there's a, every time there's a car wreck to kill someone, sue Budweiser. Run them deeply into the ground, and people would just, you would not believe the comments. I enjoyed it. What a fool. You're an idiot. All these names, they just, are you really serious? It's fools like you in this world. And I'm like, yes, there are, right? I love it because what happens is when you touch your finger, if you do like this and you have a broke arm somewhere up here, and I do this, does that hurt? Not too bad. Does this hurt? Not too bad. But what if I do right here? People won't squeal unless they get pigs, right? You poke that pig, they're going to squeal. What is the cause? Listen, we can, be, we can take a reality of Scripture, and then we can mix it with, obviously, the world. What is the number one cause of DUIs? Alcohol. How hard is that? How do you stop DUIs? I can guarantee you'll never be an alcoholic if you never put alcohol to your lips. You can't catch it. It's not a disease. It's a choice. And then we call it a disease, and now we're paying people with disability. We're giving disability checks because people are alcoholics today. What kind of crazy society have we turned into? And, and, and all the other temptations, y'all know, that, that which are there. It's not just alcohol. That's just one item. And listen, only by the grace of God was I not led astray by it. A lot of people look at me, Patrick, you don't understand. I was in the Navy without Christ. What does the Navy do? How, how does the sailor speak? Nobody wants to say it. He curses like what? We're the standard of cursing. Did you know that? In the whole world. And wherever you go, he curses like a what? Sailor. He drinks like a 
It just goes on, the drunken sailor. Go down to the beach. There's all these places that are named for all the hang-ups and the heartaches that sailors have. We are the, we're the gold standard for awfulness. So don't tell me, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm telling you the stuff almost led me astray. It's liquid devils, what Spurgeon called it. It will kill you. And we go, well, it's just a little bit of this. And it, I can go on, prescription medication. How many of us in the church today, I used to preach on this, and man, a mess of people left, and somebody caught me in the parking lot of the hospital and said, you know why my grandma left? It's because you keep hitting on prescription medication. I, for several Sundays, I said the same thing. Didn't plan to, and she was hooked up on prescription medication, and she was addicted because she couldn't get off of them, so she left the church. God forbid, church, get somebody who will hold you that hates what you love and get together and let them go together and go to war and hold you accountable. That's what this world is very clear. Jesus said his burden's light, but guess who gets to carry his burden? Jesus is not going to be physically appearing to you and walking side by side with you. Look around. Everybody take a look left and right. That's the person that's going to love you enough to say, that's wrong, that's right. Do it this way. we got a messed up society. we got people just leaving families because they want to leave. Yo, listen, it's tough in our society today to live. I'm not minimizing things. And, and before somebody leaves out, if you want to talk to me about alcohol afterwards, listen, somebody says, well, you mean if you drink a glass of wine, you're not welcome at church? Absolutely not. I'm not God. We don't, have I been to some of your houses? I haven't went to your refrigerator and looked. Look, let's see. Hmm. Who made me judge? I'm not. I'm just telling you the hangups that we have. If it's the language, if it's action, something you do. Let's read quickly through the scripture. He's telling his disciples, look at verse 21. He said to them, how is it you do not understand? And it's, you know why? Here's the bottom line. They were thinking like average men. They were just thinking like a guy or like a woman. They were just thinking well, that didn't make much sense. We thought you were upset at us for not bringing bread. He's like, I'm trying to show you. I'm upset that you guys want to name Jesus and be next to me, but you want to keep all your religious trappings as well, all your traditions. You want to keep all your junk. You want to live your, you like to keep your stuff rattling in your pocket, right? You want that change the ring every time just to make sure I got something in there. And then I want Jesus too. That's what's wrong with our society today. We want, we want Jesus. Man, we love Jesus, but when we get home, we want to, or we want to, right? Or we want to, we want to do everything we want to do plus Jesus and call it good. Let me just say this clearly with you as we get into the notes. God's not good with your sin. Amen. Let me say it again. God, let me make, make it personal. Y'all say it with me. God is not good with my sin. He's not. That's why he put all of his wrath on Jesus Christ that day on the cross. Am I saying we're going to be perfect? No, there's no perfection until we get to heaven, okay? So don't try to walk good enough. That's another sin in and of itself. Just walk holy and righteously. And when you foul up, when you sin, ask God, would you forgive me of my sins? And what's the answer to that question? Yes, go and sin no more. Don't repeat that sin. Don't practice that sin. All right. So the scripture for today, he heals a blind man. He pulls this blind man from Bethsaida. And Jesus warned Bethsaida. If you know anything about Bethsaida, he's like, you people don't believe nothing. If the works I did and all these other towns I did here, listen, this would be flipped upside down. He even references Sodom and Gomorrah and other places. So he goes against this blind man and takes him by the hand and takes him out of the city of unbelief. Look at the picture here. We don't have time to read it. He takes him out of the picture of city of unbelief. They don't believe in that city. 
And Jesus takes him out and he spits into his eyes. This is a scripture for spitting, kids. By the way, I used to reference this when I was always told as a kid, quit spitting. That's what Jesus did, right? And not only did he just spit on the ground one time, made mud, he actually spits in this dude's face. Look, read it for yourself. He spits in his eyes. He spits in his eyes. And he, he says, what do you see? And he says, I see men walking around like trees. And I used to think, wow, Jesus, he kind of misfired on that one. He only gave us a half truth. If you read it just in the English, it's like, how come he didn't have the power just to heal the man? What was he doing? He was giving this man vision to see what was the reality of everyone else should have seen. People are walking around. There's righteous people walking around like we read in Psalm 1. And they're righteous, living by the living waters. And they're growing up strong, producing fruit as God would have them do. There's those people. But there's also people walking around blindly. They can't see. They're foggy. And they're trees without fruit. They're rotten at the core. And they're dying, going away. And Jesus goes further. And he heals him. He touches him again. And he heals him. And then he goes into and talks about, don't go back to town don't go take this message to the town of unbelief because they're not going to believe you. They didn't believe me, they're not going to believe you. So don't tell this message in town. Then he comes back to the scripture we're almost close to. Peter, he accepts, says, you're the Christ. He says, don't tell anyone. Why did he not want the disciples to tell anybody that he was the Messiah? Reason being, they had their hang up still too. They're preaching Jesus while they got all their junk in the trunk back here and like holding on to their, oh, oh, but here's a mom and daddy used to, well, they used, to, they used to love this idol, right? Or, or man, we, we, we preach Jesus. We love it, but we got to still wash our hands. Uh, how would the Pharisees say? Four times to this side, four times this side, four times this. This is what they would literally do before they would eat. They had to keep the traditions of men and say, Jesus is Lord. How many people are doing that today? They're preaching Jesus alone, but. And you do the same thing. Listen, you're the, you're the disciples of Christ. You're the ones that are doing the very things. I'm the one that's doing the very thing. Lord, purge me from all this crazy sin that's in my life. I didn't know I was, I was being taught this. And if your teachings growing up don't line up with Scripture, you got to deep six those teachings. Amen? Trash them. Now, let's go through. And look at this last Scripture. Let me give you the passage here. Let me jump because Jesus, first time he openly predicts his death. He tells him, Verses 31 through 33, how he's going to die, what's going to happen. Because all this opposition is happening, he tells them about that. The last part, 34, when he had called the people to himself and his disciples, he called two groups, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will the man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and, gen- and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed of when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let me give you the notes really quick. Jesus calls us out very clearly. Let's look and see. Jesus spoke clearly to the people of the disciples near Caesarea Philippi about the cost and conditions of being his disciple. Here's what he knew. If you ever go look at pictures, you look up Caesarea Philippi, check it out. It's pretty cool. There's this cave that just like water's rushing out of. I mean, water just comes out of the earth and floods the area. It's beautiful pictures. And so people thought all these were the Greek gods. They would actually build monuments and all kind of, there's even, there's relics still there. There's holes in the mountains where they worship gods, made deities. So this place, this area was a stronghold for idol worship. Many false religions and cults called this area home. How many cults and false religions call Achan 
South Carolina home. Do you know of any? Everybody had to drive past a few of them to get here today. They're on Pine Log Road. And listen, they're all over. If they're not preaching Jesus Christ of the Bible and He alone, they're in a cult. Stay away from them. Listen, if, if they give you Jesus plus something, you're messed up. You're going you're to work yourself to death for the something. Because you're like, Jesus is always there, so I've got to go do that something. It's not giving money. It's not helping the poor. Even though those things will naturally just outflow from following Christ. But that is not a job to do plus Jesus. Jesus says, I give the jobs. I'm the foreman of the job. And I'm going to assign you what to do. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. So just wait on him. And if someone says, you're not doing anything for the kingdom. You go, I'm waiting on the master. When he says so, I will go. And I'm going to sit right here until he says. I'm going to sip a cup of coffee, drink a water bottle, whatever it is. Until Jesus says go, I'm not going. But as he already said to go, Matthew 28, he says, as you're going. That's to Walmart. That's to work. That's home. Wherever it might be, that's how you act like Jesus. That's how you say a good word for Jesus Christ. You don't live double standards. You don't live one way on Sunday and another way Monday through Saturday. That's hypocrisy. Let's continue. Let's roll through this. Previous to his teaching, Jesus fed 4,000. We said that and healed a blind man in the city of Bethsaida. His teachings and miracles led to a crisis of belief for those who wished to be his disciples. He's like, you're going to have to choose. And by the way, church, FYI, friends today, you're going to choose. You will choose to follow Christ with all of your heart and soul, mind, and strength, or you will choose not to. Half-hearted discipleship is no discipleship at all. Did you know that? And you're always going to be a disciple of somebody or something. Jesus called the Pharisees. He called them who? You are the sons of the devil who's rolling that crowd today sons of the devil if you don't change are going to end up in the same house he's going to end up in and where's the devil going to be when everything washes out and all eternity is settled where's satan going to spend eternity in the lake of fire called hell you want to be his boy want to be his girl well you better get some lotions what i'm telling you it's going to be a hot hot spot where you're going this is truth in the word of god matthew henry says this this is from the 1700s Distrust of God makes Christ's disciples quarrel among themselves. You ever been in a church where people are fighting? If you don't trust God, you'll fight your, your spouse. If you don't trust God, you'll, you'll, you'll fight everybody in church. We're changing the time of the church. I can't believe it. I ain't going to that church. That pastor needs to be fired because we're changing the time. Why are we changing the time? We want to be missional. If you've said that, you need to ask for forgiveness for your sins for actually speaking against what God's laid out for us to do. Have you prayed before you speak? Why would we spend that? Why would we waste 30 more minutes of the day? Because, listen, we want to be missional. We want to get in here. We want to worship the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we want to pack up and go out and spread the word to the world. Amen? We're no longer just sitting in this building. And by the way, we're so grateful, so grateful Mr. Derek spearheaded everything, getting in the nice to have air conditioning again this week, right? Great. Augusta Chiller did the big monster and the brag heating and air, they did I got that in fixed. We're so, we're so thankful. But this is not a place for us just to sit and soak in sour. We gotta get up and go. We gotta go tell the world, listen, Jesus has a job for me to do, and I'm gonna tell you about it. Well, what are they gonna do to you? Let's watch and see. Here's what Jesus declared, a broad call for whoever desired to be his disciple. Y'all, see if you fit into this. If you're not facing this, you need to do a checkup, amen, from the heart up is what you need. This, can, this call still echoes today. Three surrenders must take place per Jesus in an individual's life in order to be a disciple of Jesus. 
Number one, a disciple of Jesus must deny self and set aside selfish desires. You gotta deny self. That doesn't mean having not having nice things, but you can't let nice things be first. How many times do we go on vacations or how many times do we go somewhere and we don't go to church? We just say, we're just gonna have church at home, sit in our pajamas and flip channels and like that music, like that preacher. Okay, let's go to the beach or let's go to the lake or let's go camp, whatever it is. We must find a purpose. Our kids and my children know, they can tell you, no matter where we went on vacation, no matter where we went for time off, we always took time to gather with God's people wherever they were gathered. We've done it at campgrounds and lakeside. We've done it, we've done it in multiple different places. But we're going to be in the house of God with God's people because God says don't forsake yourself assembling together. Don't do it. Well, I'm just going to do it this week and next week and the next week. It's summer. It's time. You're sinning every time you do that. So you must deny self. Again, this is not saying be poor, don't have any nice things because he wants you to have whatever he gives you. He blesses you. Number two, a disciple of Jesus must take up and bear his cross. That's not your wife or your husband. Amen? That's not your job. A cross, he's talking about the Roman cross. He's talking about actually dying daily to self, thereby expressing a willingness to endure the hardships that may come as a result of following him. Take on his shame. Take on his rejection. Take on his suffering. And even if you have to, take on his death. How many people are living like that? Come here to live, or did you come here to die? The answer should be yes. I'll die for Christ. When we go to China, we told them clearly. They said, don't speak his name here in these mountains. And I told them through an interpreter, you tell them I flew halfway around the world to come here to live for Christ and die for him if necessary. I told you that I have the picture of the, of the of Buddhist, uh, of the Tibetan priest who was telling us, he's threatening us. And then when we got back two, days, two weeks later, he was being baptized by a local pastor because he gave his life to Christ. Because we went on location to live for Christ, and if it meant to die for him, so be it. No one has a suicide mission. That's not our intent. Like, somebody kill me, please. Not after that. But we're after to live. We want to live for Jesus. Number three, a disciple of Jesus must follow Jesus, fully believe his teachings, conform to his example of living, and if need be, suffer or perhaps die because of faith in him. Suffering like Christ always leads to glory. If you go to chapter 9, you'll see the glory of God. Jesus was clear, whoever wishes to save his life in this world, what's going to happen eventually? They're going to lose it through natural death and eternal separation from God. In contrast, Jesus emphasized those disciples of his who lose their lives in this world for his name's sake and the gospel's sake. Here's a praise. Jesus will save it from the consequences of sin and separation from God. The disciple will have eternal life. Y'all, I got to tell you this, I'm bragging a little bit, okay? I'm bragging on Jesus, so that's proper. He says, brag, brag on Jesus, right? I have eternal life with God. And then I also brag, I have a place. Wherever he's going to be, I'm going to be. I will see him face to face one day. Isn't that a good brag? If you're a Christian, you can brag on the same thing. I will see him as he is. I'll see him like a friend sees a friend. I'm going to see Jesus one day face to face. I'm going to live with him for eternity. That's the promise we have as disciples of his. Jesus asked two pointed questions, and I know it's getting late. We've got to point these out. What does it benefit a man to gain the whole world with all of its pleasures and forfeit his soul? Would you write your own answer in there? I'm not going to give it to you. What does it benefit a man to, or woman to gain the whole world, that's everything, 
and all of its pleasures and forfeit or lose his or her own soul. Write that in. I want you to write that answer too. You need to answer that because Jesus is asking this question for people who want to be. I want to be his disciple. And then number two, what will a man give in exchange for his soul and eternal life in God's kingdom? What will a man give or woman give in exchange for his soul? When Wendy were talking last night, she was, I don't want to answer these questions before church. So I'm just trying to bounce it off you so you, you see if you understand the question. What will a man or woman give in exchange for their soul? And you say, well, nothing. You're a fool if you do. How many people have got their jobs in place of their souls? Their boats, their motorcycles, their money. Go down the list. Their children, their inheritance, whatever their education. Go down the list. How many people today are living for their stuff? The stuff's got them and not living for the Lord. You say, well, no one, nobody in their right mind would give up anything for their soul, knowing their soul could spend eternity. Yes, they do. Every single Sunday, there's people cutting the grass down the road. There's people shopping at Walmart right now. There's people who don't care two hoots about Jesus Christ, and you and I aren't telling them about Jesus. We go, well, Pastor, I got my own problems. Well, then settle your stinking problems. Amen? If it's family problems, get godly counsel and settle your family problems. If it's financial problems, get with somebody older who's, who's successful. Settle the problems. Because Christians are to be Christ-like and living. Amen? Get with somebody who can help you. Look around. Look around. There's people of every socioeconomic stratus in here, every stage in life, grandparents, parents, single parents, blended families. Get with somebody who understands what you're going through. If you don't know them, I will be happy to put you together so you'll have newfound friends and family. We need each other, friends. Listen, we need each other, brothers and sisters, we can't do it alone. We need help. All the stuff I just talked about, by the way, is not bad. Did y'all know that? I mean, the stuff that you have, listen, don't let the stuff have you. But use it for the glory of God. We find out more and more people, I'm, I'm working really hard to get a motorcycle somehow. <clears throat> somehow. But um, we're going to start a motorcycle club. How many people actually in here, not everybody I know, has a motorcycle? Raise your hand. Look around. There's hands, and there's people that aren't here today. I know they have a cycle. I'm like, we need to start a motorcycle club. So why? One, to hang out and have fun, go riding, and also do what? Reach motorcyclists for Christ. What does that look like? And the answer is, I don't know because I don't have one right now, right? <laughs> I've had two. I'm going on three. But the bottom line is, if you have a boat, how many have a boat? Look around. Let's just raise, raise them high. So it's not bragging. All right, how many of you have an old race car? I know Julian has that, that, that old, old car. Who's got an old car? Classic. They're, they're all around. There's different things that bring us together. We're going to start looking for all of those things so we can be missional and actually be on, on not to go and say, listen, we're going to tell you about Jesus for you. You can sit in my car or look at my car. It's, we just want to be your friend. We want to love you to, to Christ because we want your soul to be in heaven where our soul is going to be. That's all it is. We're not mad. We're not mad. God's not mad at us, but he wants us to live according to his way. Let, lastly, Jesus made a kingdom announcement. Whoever is ashamed here and now of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Here's a question I had wrote down. Are you a faithful disciple of Jesus? Will you follow him all the days of your earthly life, or are you ashamed of him? You've got to make a decision. Jesus didn't leave his disciples going, okay, I hope that's a good sermon for today. Let's go, let's pray, and we'll dismiss. These words are eternal. Do you see them? 
through 2,000 years. They're piercing your heart and my heart. They continue to push on. You will choose to follow Jesus Christ or you will choose to reject Jesus Christ. It's on you. And praise God, it ain't on me no more. I have to preach it and release it, but I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've given myself to him fully. Do I sin and make mistakes? <laughs> hey, hey, you don't have to amen that, Richard. Yes, it is true. Yes, I do. My family, they know. My friends, my family, your church, my church family, our church family, we know each other because you know yourself. And to that, we say what? If I've sinned against you as my brother or sister, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And same thing, that's how we get bright with each other. Hug it out. Ugh. All right? I'm not a hugger if you're a guest. I'm trying. I'm trying. Some of y'all have hugged after church. You're like, what's wrong with him? I'm trying, y'all. I'm learning. God wants us to live, listen, this, this abundant life living for him. And at the end of each service as we sing, we give an invitation just to come and pray and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. We'll show you how. Somebody showed us how. But Jesus wants you into his family. He wants you into his fold to be like him so that we can live like him and tell the whole world. So that no one's out there exchanging their soul for silly stuff. He wants your soul forever. Let's pray. Father God, we pray in Jesus' name that we would get it. When you said to your disciples, do you understand? And they didn't fully understand. They still had their hangups and heartaches. They still had their thoughts and processes and and Lord, you were trying to sanitize all of that off their minds and say, listen, it's about the Son of God, the Son of Man. There's, there's only one priority in this life, and it's Jesus. Father, I pray today that you would bless us, that we would understand, open our eyes and hearts, those that aren't Christians, that they would give their heart and life to Jesus Christ, not wait, knowing that every day they wait, they're building up even the judgment of God. Not because you're angry with them, but because you have a plan, and you love them so much that you want to see them succeed. Oh, Father, help us have understanding. These words are hard for us to hear. These words are hard for us to actually process and do. But, Lord, you told us that if we ask, you'll show us and you'll lead the way. You never tell us to do it by ourselves. Thank you for that, that you show us. Thank you that we can talk to you like this right now. And thank you that you make a way when it seems like there is no way. Bless us today, Lord. May we walk in freedom that you give in Jesus Christ alone. In his name I ask, amen.